Well, thank you very much, Tina. Here we are today with Coinscrum Markets, another session with all things regulatory. Today's session is titled The Unintended Consequences of MICA for DeFi. Today I'm joined by Mark Taverna, the CEO of Anapta. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Neil. Hi. And also Arnab Nasker, co-founder of Stocker and also at Anapta. Hi, Ian. Hi. Hello, guys. Um, firstly, let me just set the scene here and then we'll go for some brief introductions. Anapta is the International Association for Trusted Blockchain Applications. It's a leading convener in the global blockchain ecosystem, offering developers, companies and users of blockchain distributed ledger technology a forum to interact with the regulators and policymakers, bringing the technology to the next phase. Most recently, Anapta has launched a MICA task force in response to the European Commission's proposed regulation. Markets in crypto assets, the so-called MICA regulation. This is going to definitively change the landscape for crypto service providers and crypto assets in Europe and beyond. Anapta's initial analysis of the regulation indicated that MICA is detailed, comprehensive and extremely broad in its coverage. The proposed regulation leaves few, if any, areas of the market untouched. It permits very few exceptions and intended to be highly prescriptive and directional for both industry participants and member states. Moreover, because MICA is both far-reaching and exceptionally detailed, it places an urgent requirement on all market participants to invest significant time to understand this regulation and the ways that it would interact with the varying member states and the current laws that exist right now. Anapta anticipates this will create significant disruption as all ecosystem participants scramble to understand, process and operationalize this vast interwoven set of regulatory and compliance proposals. Okay, well let's um, introduce Mark. You want to give a brief introduction of who you are and what you do? So I'm Mark Tavener. I'm the Executive Director of Inatba with the International Association of Trusted Blockchain Applications uh, and as well as focusing on finance, we focus on 13 other uh, use cases for blockchain applications, distributed ledger technologies. Uh, and it is true today, we're talking about finance and, and Mika. Thank you, Mark. And if I could ask uh, Arnab for a brief introduction too. Thanks, Jan. Uh, thanks, Mark, for the short intro. Uh, my name is Arnab Naskar. I am the co-founder of Stalker. Stalker is an investment platform that is helping companies to issue digital securities on the blockchain as well as helping investors to invest into those digital securities. In specific reference to Inadpa, I'm also the co-chair of the finance working group. It's one of the largest working group at Inadpa right now, and uh, it's also dealing with the matters of uh, Mika, as well as the pilot regime and other financial related aspects of uh, crypto assets. Thank you. All right, well, let's, um, let's get into the detail here. Um, we did cover off a few of the touch points a few weeks ago with Sean Jones of X-Ray Consulting. Um, today, we're gonna focus on the impacts on, on the decentralized finance uh, arena. So if I could first um, bring Mark in to the discussion um, and ask you really for a general explanation as to the work that you guys at Anapta have been doing in relation to MICA and how much of the regulation is general and equivalent to traditional market participants that may fall under, say, NIFID, for example. Yeah, thanks, Ian. So the, the work that we've got going on within Inatpa as we focus on Mika and the pilot regime. So I just want to, to, to go back two paces. 
Uh, the digital finance strategy that was issued by the European Commission uh, and passed from the Commission to Parliament on the 24th of September consisted of the three packages, actually. The Digital Operational Resilience, DORA, as it's referred, the Market in Crypto Assets, MICA, which is what we're going to talk about today, and the Pilot Regime, uh, which calls for an approach to sandbox, uh, creation of a sandbox environment around tokenize, the tokenization of security assets. So within the finance work group, we are focusing both on the MICA and the pilot regime files. And the work that we're doing, uh, and I'll focus just on Mika for the purposes of today's discussion, the work that we're doing is very exhaustive as Arnav alluded to. So we've got an internal and an external focus stream of work on Mika. The internal stream of work is where our members have come together and are analyzing clause by clause the Mika proposed regulation with a view to submitting evidence into the parliamentary process that will support considerations that we think are for the benefit of the industry. But because this particular proposed regulation is so potentially impactful for our very young industry, we thought it would also be wise to secure the opinion of the wider ecosystem without the encumbrance of inactive membership standing in the way. So we've also launched an external MICA task force, which is open for anybody to participate in. And it consists in the first instance of a questionnaire where we're looking to gather evidence and opinions from market players, ecosystem collaborators, adjacent industries, other trade associations and interested individuals such that we can fold that evidence into the work that's happening within the Inactiva work group inside of the finance work group but also that will end up in a report that gets produced into its own right from that public MICA task force and submitted as evidence as a standalone piece of work that represents the wider voice of the industry. And the reason we're doing this is because we think this moment in time is so significant and yet is massively underappreciated by the vast majority of market participants. And we, I'm sure we'll come on to the reason for that uh, in a short moment, but uh, we're trying to cover a lot of ground as in ACTPA, and we're really calling on the wider ecosystem to come with us to leverage our platform, leverage our proximity to both the European Commission and the Parliament, and to leverage the relationships that we have in place with the Council, which is where the deliberations are currently taking place. And there have already been two group discussions around the Mika file held within the European Parliament. So this is very much a piece of work which is in progress and not something which we should be talking about in the future because this is in the process of being ratified into regulation as we speak today. Thank you. Um, and if I may hand over to Arnab, from your side of the fence, both as a lawyer and a founder, can you give us a, a sense of your key takeaways and perhaps what jumps out at you the most with regards to this proposed regulation? Yes, I think Mark uh, rightly highlighted over here that we are in a very crucial time at this point of time uh, where the European Commission and the entire, I would say, the European legislative processes are really looking into regulating the crypto assets, if I may say so. And uh, the market participants need to be aware because uh, any kind of uh, law that is passed in this process for be it Mika, be it a part of, uh, I would say the task force, uh, be it a part of the pilot regime, uh, this will have a future impact. 
And this future impact will be not only for the companies that are operating in Europe and servicing in Europe, but also for the companies that is operating outside Europe and want to access the European market. So it's a very crucial moment. Now, let's talk about Mika. Uh, one, uh, I would say there are two very interesting aspects of the Mika over here is any, if you are an issuance, uh, I would say entity for issuing any kind of crypto assets that are not qualified as a financial asset. If you're an issuer, if you're a service provider, if you are an exchanges that is helping into those digital assets exchange, you will be falling under this Mika regulation. That's the baseline statement. Um, in terms of, I would say, structurally, if you are following, providing a support services for crypto assets like security tokens, if I say so, those crypto assets which are qualified as uh, transferable securities or financial instruments, in that case, how it will be traded, like how it will be traded or how the secondary market will be performed, it's kind of a European level sandbox you can think of what uh, the DLT pilot regime is proposing and that comes under that perspective. Um, this, I would say the Mika is very wider ambit. I would say like it's a very elaborate framework uh, or regulation, I would say. And the European Commission has taken a lot of effort to develop it. But also we need to understand the aim in which the Mika was drafted and after the consultation they did in March 2020 and how the process moved. Somewhere you can see the Mika went far beyond its uh, major outreach and tried to you know cover a lot of aspects which it didn't intend it. And now in that sense, uh, the market participants need to come up and say what specific provision does not make sense in Mika, maybe covered a little point of time or maybe elaborated and maybe clarified it later. As a third part, I would like to say some specific provision which uh, the market need to be aware of. The first one is if you are issuing a digital asset, um, which are crypto assets in this case, you need to have a legal entity. And that's a very crucial aspect. You cannot have it without a legal entity. Now, how crypto assets like Bitcoin can perform, these are still, I would say, not clear from uh, Mika, need to be answered. But a legal entity is an idea. So whether it is DAO or something, there are a lot of questions will come, which we are not yet in a situation to answer. Arguably, some of the real innovation going on in the industry falls under the banner of DeFi, where many assume they remain unaffected, often under the assumption that they're doing isn't a regulated, what they're doing is not a regulated activity. So if I could perhaps uh, bring Mark in here and, and ask from the broad perspective of, of DeFi or indeed those folks developing entirely new base level protocols, could you perhaps explain where and how MICA has potential to impact uh, such projects? Yeah, and th thanks for the question. This is a, a critical focus for Inatba. Uh, because it goes to the very heart of decentralized applications, which is the very essence uh, of the technology, which is blockchain and DLT, in, in that these are the applications that can be built, facilitated by blockchain and DLT, that create value, that advance different business models or support different business models, and mechanize trust and provide transparency. So it is true that as we look at MECAR and its current draft, then decentralized projects, which include DeFi and in the world of finance, DeFi has grown to be pretty significant at the moment. Under MECAR, which requires an operator, a service provider, or an issuer, 
to have a legal entity registered within the EEA. The EEA is a group of 30 countries that include the 27 members of the, the European Union, but also brings into play Iceland, uh, Liechtenstein and Norway. So if you are a decentralized finance project, for example, based in the UK, and you decide that you would like to trade within that group of 30 countries, under the terms of MICA, you will need to have a registered legal entity within the EEA, within those 30 countries. Now, if we just pause and think about that for a second as it relates to DeFi, and if you are a UK-based DeFi company, there are two challenges there that require some consideration. The first is that by the very nature of a decentralized project, at least most of the way in which most of the projects are currently structured today, there is no center, there's no central point. That's the very nature of decentralization. And that's why we can establish mechanical trust and extrapolate all of the other values that create the attractiveness of these models. So by the very essence of the structure, the construct of a decentralized autonomous organization or a DeFi project, trying to then flip that into uh, an entity where there is a legal body is, is relatively tough. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And if I could hand, hand over to you, Arnab, and you know, since this regulation was announced a few weeks ago, you know, do, do, do you think from your um, experience, the industry has fully understood the implications and what resources companies and, and startups and, and builders of DeFi projects need to understand um, and how it affects them, for example? Yes, I think Mark rightly, I would say, wrapped up on the main territorial implications of Mika, which is very crucial because you cannot say you, are, you can avoid this uh, Mika scope because you're sitting in UK or somewhere else. And the same is if you remember the GDPR, the discussion that we did, I think, not long back, the GDPR had a very extraterritorial application, right? Even if you're sitting in India and uh, trying to, you know, uh, store some data of a European citizen, you fall under the GDPR scope. The same is what the Mika is. Uh, it has an extraterritorial scope and people need to be, mostly the companies that are working in this space need to be aware of. And one of the most crucial aspect, I would say what a lot of DeFi's are not um, really in, I would say, taking care of here is a stable coin matters and how the Mika is trying to regulate that because a lot of DeFi products are being fueled by stable coins like DAI or Tether, those kind of structures. And this will come under heavy regulatory scrutiny right now with the current draft of Mika if it's published like this way. That means all this DeFi application that is relying on those stable coins, it can be asset reference tokens or it can be an e-money token. Um, automatically you are attracting certain regulatory obligations and burden on your place. So for DeFi, it's very much crucial that they follow at this point of time, the Mika in the current draft. And they also use the opportunity that we have right now till the time this draft becomes a published law. And we share all our concerns and all our, I would say, points with the regulators, with the legislators right now. And we try to address it because once we lose this momentum and once this window of opportunity goes away, there will be very little thing that we can do for this industry. Mark, we know, and as you've mentioned, uh, Mika touches on the centralized uh, market participants, um, but from the perspective of DeFi, you know, what are the key functions that, that 
you think would be deemed equivalent to regulated central functions, you know, you can discuss such, such service providers and custodians, clearing houses, brokers, etc. Yeah, thanks Ian. So at the moment, in its current draft, MECAR classifies crypto asset service providers uh, as follows, and the list is, is kind of inclusive of these. So it refers to services that deal with custody, administration of crypto assets on behalf of third parties, any operation of a trading platform for crypto assets, which we just spoke about, the exchange of crypto assets for fiat currency, that's legal tender or the exchange of crypto assets for other crypto assets. So, you know, not currency that's legal tender, but other crypto assets, the execution of orders for crypto assets on behalf of third parties. So if you're helping place orders or the placing of crypto assets, the issuance of crypto assets uh, and issuers are dealt with separately as well, which I'll come on to in a second or and or the reception and transmission of orders for crypto assets on behalf of third parties and vitally the final point that is addressed under the description of crypto asset service providers are those providing advice on crypto assets so what we said at the top of the conversation is uh, you know in relation to mika it's very very broad and all-encompassing and there could be unintended consequences is in these very broad definitions of service providers that pulls uh, unknowing market participants under the scope of MECAR when it wasn't intended perhaps by the commission in drafting and the consequence could well be quite detrimental to the smooth functioning of this still very young and innovative market. So I think you know the considerations that I would suggest the the DeFi market pays attention to is around innovation, is around contributing evidence uh, around the value of the applications that have been built, the purpose of the applications, the innovative process that needs to survive uh, and should not be regulated out of existence. Dare I say that? Uh, and to help us as Inatpa gather that evidence in a logical way and present it as education, as data, and as informative evidence to the Commission, to the Parliament, to the Council and to the various committees who are at the moment assessing this information. I just want to, to, to touch on one point before I hand the floor back to you, Ian, which is just a consideration because we were talking about crypto asset service providers, but a, a one of the really unique innovations that we've seen blockchain bring to the young technology innovating marketplace has been the ability to raise funds and an impact of Mika is to limit the ability of projects to raise funds to a ceiling of 12 million euros and under 12 million euros a white paper is sufficient to be able to raise those funds over a period of 12 months but if you want to go above that ceiling of 1 million euros over a 12 month period, then you need to go through a whole raft of additional compliance, issue a prospectus and provide a great deal of regulatory information that demonstrates compliance. And, and one of the challenges that we think that presents to the industry is not only some pressure on a very innovative model to fund in a, in a new and quite forward-looking way projects that have got a lot of technical merit but it also creates a little bit of a friction point and a point of counterance whereby 
there is within the traditional channels established through regulation an upper ceiling of eight million euros that is available to market participants who are not raising either for or using blockchain projects. And therefore, we think perhaps one of the objectives and the unintended outcome of this proposed regulation is that there has been a little bit of disparity between technologies. It's not technology neutral, because where there is a limit of a million euros over a 12-month period for projects that are focused on blockchain, whereas for other projects in traditional markets, that ceiling is 8 million before additional compliance comes in. We see the gap there in equal treatment as being quite large, and we think that could have quite uh, an inhibiting factor on the success of projects, their ability to raise capital. And as we know, and in young and innovative industries, often access to capital is one of the big barriers towards innovation, and we fear that as we look at this through European lens, that that might create uh, a lower level of appeal to innovators to come and base themselves in and around Europe, which conversely will mean that Europeans lose access to young innovators, young companies that are innovating and therefore creating a competitive edge. Thank you so much, guys. I wish you well and good luck with the great work you do there. And now back to Tina.